Holy Father, however we sing it, up high or down deep, that old gospel tune is the captures the passion of the heart of all of heaven. And if a little boy can celebrate with all his heart when a lost puppy comes home, we can only imagine the singing that takes place in the corridors above when another child on earth is saved. Oh, Jesus, don't let us lose the sound and the refrain of that rejoicing. As we worship now in Holy Scripture, inform our minds, engage our hearts, and compel our lives, we pray in your dear name. Amen. On my desk in the study, I keep a picture that I don't want to get very far out of my sight. It's a picture of a sailboat. I love sailing, and this is the first official weekend of summer, so we can think for a split moment about the approaching season. But it's a picture of a sailboat. It's a night scene, and the sailboat is sailing under a full moon on some windswept ocean. It's not so much the picture, but it's the word and then the sentence under the word. It's that combination that really grabs my spirit at times, and I just need the boost of seeing that. There's a four-letter word, big blue letters, R-I-S-K, risk. And then under the word risk, one solitary sentence, you cannot discover new oceans unless you're willing to lose sight of the shore. I love that. You cannot discover new oceans unless you are willing to lose sight of the shore. I would love for that sentence to... to, to Kind of reach out and stir up your own spirit as well. And so if you'll pull out your brand new study guide for today, that's the opening line in our journey for these next few moments. And so I want to wrap up Romans with you today. Now, we're not wrapping up Romans for good, because beginning next Sabbath, we've got a top flight of preachers who are all pastors here on our pastoral staff who will begin preaching their way through Romans 12, 13, and 14. Now, those of you listening on the radio, you're not going to be able to get to your computer this fast because this is live. But if you would just jot down this web address, you'll be able to look this study guide up because there are some dynamite quotations that I wish you would be able to mull over, brood over later. So here's the web address, www.pmchurch.tv. You click on our series, Wine and Milk. That's our series from Romans. This is number 22. Part 22. Wow. Part 22, and this one is entitled, I Will Go to Spain. You click on right there, you'll have the same study guide. Now, I'm not going to be gone. I'll be back for the last two Sabbaths of June. I have some other appointments between now and then. And we'll, we may touch on Romans. We may not. And so I think today, this Paul's teaching today is a fitting pinnacle for his letter to the church in Rome. Would you write it down, please, this, this uh, stirring line, so that you can have it now. 
You can have it forever. You cannot discover new oceans. Write it in, please. You cannot discover new oceans unless you have the courage to lose sight of the shore. You know what? I have a feeling Paul kept that picture and that sentence in his wallet. Don't you? And everywhere he went, he'd pull that out just to get, oh, I need the inspiration of that thought. I mean, who more than Paul kept on discovering new oceans for Christ? Who more than Paul has been willing in the history of Christianity to lose sight of the shore? You've got to lose sight of the shore. No, no shore huggers ever discover anything but the placid and tranquil calm of an undisturbed harbor. You'll never discover a new ocean unless you're willing to lose sight of the shore. And some of you are at a place in your life right now where you're not sure what's going to be happening. Some of you are anticipating the need, the compelling need to take a huge risk in your life professionally, a huge risk in your life maritally, a huge risk in your life financially, and you are not sure if you should go forward or backward. Shall I sail where I lose sight of the shore? Yeah, I tell you what, you'll never get to that new chapter. You will never make it. Unless you're willing to lose sight of the shore. So remember that sentence. Keep it with you. In fact, uh, I mean, this, this is Paul. He didn't write these words, but it certainly was Paul. Monday night at our church board meeting, I played for the board for our worship time. The new DVD by my friend uh, Tony Moore. Title of the DVD, In the Footsteps of Paul. So we played this little, uh, just, a, just a little worship. And I was amazed to learn. Did you know this? That Paul, in his lifetime, traveled over 13,000 miles. Buses, trains, automobiles, nope, 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 not a one of them. Over 13,000 miles, no planes. Over 13,000 miles, either by foot or by sail. Paul, the intrepid sailor, the warrior, the missionary for the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm not surprised that Paul would write... Romans chapter 15. Open your Bible, please. Our last time in this book together. Romans chapter 15. Go to the end of the book. Romans chapter 15. All right, you're going to Romans chapter 15? Take a look at this, will you please? I am not surprised that Paul wrote these words. Romans chapter 15, verse 20. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one right in the pew rack in front of you. Pull that Bible out because there's no PowerPoint on the screen today. Nope, you're stuck. There's a New King James Version right in front of you. You'll love it in the New King James as well. But I'm going to be reading in the Today's New International Version. I don't need to tell you that I'm, begin, I, I'm, I'm getting rather fond of this new translation, the TNIV. A great improvement on the NIV. And let me read to you Romans 15, verse 20. You follow along in whatever translation you have. This is Paul, the intrepid sailor now. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, verse 21, as it is written in Isaiah, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. It has always been my ambition to lose sight of the shore. Now, he didn't actually say that, but that's, that is, in fact, what he's trying to tell us. I don't want to go. I don't want to build where somebody else has already been. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known because you cannot discover new oceans unless you are willing to lose sight of the shore. Adios, shoreline. I'm going with Jesus. I've got to go. I cannot hover in this harbor any longer. 
I like that. And by the way, do you like the, the NIV and the TNIV? And most other translations as well. It has always been my ambition. I like that. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. You know, sometimes we conclude that ambition and Christianity... I mean, you can't have an ambition and be a good Christian. Rubbish. You can have all kinds of ambitions and be a good Christian. You can be a radical follower of Jesus Christ and have a passionate ambition. Paul is unashamed to admit that his ambition is to go where nobody else has gone. To go and lose sight of the shore and discover a new ocean for the kingdom. It's okay. In fact, I love it in the uh, English Standard Version. The English Standard Version actually renders the Greek here this way. I make it my ambition. Some of you don't have an ambition that you, can, that, that you want to talk about right now. Uh, you know, I've just been living my life without an ambition lately. Ladies and gentlemen, the good news is you can make an ambition right now. I like the English Standard Version. I make it my ambition. You've never had an ambition for Christ in your life. Today you can make an ambition. You will never forget Memorial Day weekend 2005 as long as you live because you will make an ambition today. By the grace of Jesus, I make this ambition. I'm not telling you the ambition to make. But you can be a good Christian. The greatest Christian on earth had ambitions. You can be a great Christian and have an ambition. So don't let them talk you out of dreams, visions, and ambitions. It's okay to have a vision. It's okay to dream big dreams. Just remember who you dream, for whom you dream the dream. That's what's important. I have made it my ambition. I make it my ambition. I like that. You know what, Jesus? I would like to take Paul's ambition. I would like to make it my ambition to reach unreached people for you. Because that's exactly what Paul is saying here. I want to reach unreached people. I don't want to go where others have been. I want to go where nobody's ever been. I want to lose sight of the shore and I want to discover a new ocean for God. It takes an intrepid spirit to dream that dream and to embrace that ambition, but you may be the very one that God decreed to be in this church today so that you can read Romans 15 and realize God is calling you to seize hold of an ambition for Him. Hallelujah. You know what? When I think of Andrews University and the Pioneer Memorial Church... By the way, I love all our colleges, all right? Don't get me wrong. I love them all. But when I think of Andrews University, our very namesake... Is an intrepid soul who said, I'm willing to lose sight of the shore that I might discover a new ocean for Jesus. When I think of Andrews University, named after the great John Nevin Andrews, I think of that statue out in front. And I see that hand pointing to a world. I'm thinking, what other university on earth would be more appropriate to embrace and confess the ambition of Paul? Then this place, I make it my ambition to take Christ where He has never been heard before. I tell you what, Andrews University is primed, positioned by God to be the leader. I see some words carved under that uh, statue out front. Something about a legacy of leadership. Oh, you know what? We need to keep reminding ourselves that that's our legacy. Otherwise, pretty soon, we're simply minding the store and maintaining the status quo and simply doing businesses to survive. And we forget that we were birthed out of the very same passion that the that Apostle St. Paul had himself. I have an ambition. I might preach. I might take Christ to where he's never been heard before. 
course, you can't just take one or two or three people casting the vision. It takes an entire, it takes an entire institution to cast it. And we can't cast it once. You have to just keep casting it over and over and over because the enemy of vision, the enemy of mission will snuff it out at every possible excuse. Some of you right now are nurturing a vision that God has placed in your heart. I'm just telling you what, that you, you have to be like Paul. You have to go on record in front of everybody and say, I have this ambition. Even if it looks like you've not done a thing, I have this ambition. You go ahead and go on record. God will take care of you. I have this ambition. I make it my ambition. As I go, verse 20, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Yeah, but the problem is, what, what, what's left for Paul? He said, in one, what, where was it? In Colossians, I preached the gospel to every creature under the heavens. <laughs> I've already done it all. What's left for Paul? Ah, he hasn't lost that dreaming heart. Look at verse 23. But now that... Look at Paul. Only Paul could get by saying this. But now that there is no more place for me to work... I've done it all. You know, sometimes to be a dreamer and a visionary, you have to go out on a limb and kind of make claims that others might challenge. It's okay. Paul says, I've done it all. There's nothing left for me to do. What do you mean, Paul? You've saved everybody? No, he hasn't saved everybody, but he's done enough. Others have come in now. He's ready to move on. Verse 23, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you in Rome, I want to go to Rome. I've never been to Rome. Verse 24, I plan to do so when I go to where? What does it say? When I go to where? When I go to Spain. When I go to Spain. I'm going to stop by. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Can't stay long. Got to go. But I want to see you first. Drop down to verse 28. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this fruit. What's he talking about? He's taking up a special offering. Home church in Jerusalem, big time financial need. They've had a famine. The economy is way down and the institutions in Jerusalem are suffering. And so Paul's been going around taking an emergency offering. He's going to hurry to Jerusalem, drop the monies off. And then I'm coming to Rome. Little does he know that when he gets to Rome, he will be shackled to a centurion. Bound by to Caesar. To whom he has appealed. Little does he know. He says, let me drop the offering off, and then I'm going to get over to Rome. Look at verse 28. Why? After I've completed this task and have made sure that they have received this fruit, I love these five words in the NIV. I will go to Spain. That's a vision, ladies and gentlemen. That's an ambition. That's a dream. I will go to Spain. Paul comes full circle. Began his book, remember? I am not ashamed of the gospel. Remember that? I am not ashamed of the gospel. I tell you what, when you have a passion in your heart, you are not ashamed to tell it. You are simply not embarrassed to tell it. I, I want to tell you about one of our uh, young adult women in this congregation. She just got married last week. She was our key leader in our Benton Harbor Street Ministries. Her name, Marie Gervin. And Marie graduated a year ago and then has worked this last year in accounting here at the university. And Marie got engaged this year. She got engaged. And then, of course, she's doing business with a church, trying to re line up all the facilities and so on. And every time Marie would come over here to this church, I tell you the truth, she would knock on my door, stick her head in. Have I told you that I'm getting married? Every time. I'm getting married. Last Sabbath. I'm standing at the back, greeting everybody. Marie comes by. By the way, you know, tomorrow is my wedding. Ladies and gentlemen, when you have a passion, 
And it really goes deep. You are not embarrassed to tell. You are not apologetic by announcing it. Paul says, I have a passion. I will go to Spain. I've got to tell them over there about my passion for Jesus. I want to know Christ, Philippians 3.10. That's my passion and I want to tell the world about it. When you've got a passion, you don't keep it to yourself. If you're keeping it to yourself, it's not a passion. If you're keeping it to yourself, it is not your passion. Something else is your passion. Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying? If you're keeping it to yourself, it is not a passion. It's a hobby. It's an interest. It's a thought. It's a passing fancy. It is not a passion. If you're keeping it to yourself, it is not a passion. If it's a passion, you tell others. The problem with us multi-generation Christians and Adventists is that the passion has gone out. We are just like the church of Ephesus in, in, in Revelation 2. You have lost your first love. You've lost your first love. I'm watching a boy who's very close to me. I'm watching a boy who is very close to me go through recovery of a first love. And I'm saying, I need to learn from my son. You're just playing church. You're doing business. I want to go to Spain. I got to go. Why? Because it's brand new, unreached territory for Jesus Christ. That's why. You know, it's almost as if, it's almost as if Paul prayed the prayer of Jabez. You ever hear the prayer of Jabez? Somebody gave me a book a few weeks ago, has got me back into that prayer, and oh my, my soul has been so stirred up by repraying that prayer. In case you don't remember the prayer of Jabez, may I take you back to First Chronicles? Keep, your finger, keep, your, keep the little uh, marker there in uh, Romans 15, but go back to uh, First Chronicles. How could you ever find this? First Chronicles chapter 4. First Chronicles chapter 4. There's a beautiful little prayer, an obscure prayer. And I want to read the prayer in your hearing. First Chronicles chapter 4, and I'm going to read it from the New King James Version, which I believe renders it best. So if you have the NKJV, boy, mark it all up, circle it. First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10. Here is the famous prayer of Jabez. And J this is verse 10. And Jabez cried out to the God of Israel. Here we go. Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. Do you remember that little prayer from five years ago? Bruce Wilkinson's smashing hit. In fact, the, that book sold more copies in the English language of any book in the history of literature, bar none. Prayer of Jabez set, broke all records. You remember that? In fact, in the summer of 2000, you and I did a little five-part series from the Prayer of Jabez. You remember that? I'm going back to it because somebody just a few weeks ago in April gave me Bruce Wilkinson's new book called Beyond Jabez. I was sharing it with the staff on Monday. And I said, guys, I'm willing to pay $5 out of my pastor's fund here, $5 if you'll pay the rest to get this book. I want you to read the book. I think every leadership team ought to read that book. It's an easy read. I read it on a plane flying out to Portland, Oregon. There's two chapters left once I got out there about three weeks ago. It's an easy read, but it will stir your soul. Now, I want you to get the prayer of Jabez in your study guide in case um, you might forget where it is. And so, would you fill the words in, please, uh, in your study guide? First Chronicles, there it is, First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10. Write it in, please. Oh, that you would bless. Write in the word bless. Oh, that you would bless me indeed. Karen and I, I read the book through, and Karen and I are now reading it for our worships together through the week and on the weekends. 
We're just reading. Last night we read it out loud together. We just finished up the three chapters on, Oh, that you would bless me. Oh, my. Why is it that we are so, so hesitant to ask God to bless us? I tell you what, you get the book, you'll be moved. Fill it in, please. Oh, that you would bless me indeed, praying to God, and enlarge my territory. Key word, write it in, please. Territory. And enlarge my territory. That your hand, I don't want to do this alone, that your hand might be with me. Please, I can't go alone. God, I can't. I can't go to Spain alone. That your hand would be with me. And one more word, that you would keep me from evil. Lead us not into temptation. Keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. Now, which part of the prayer do you suppose Paul could have prayed? Now, I have a feeling he never prayed these words. I have a feeling he never even read them. But you know what? When you carefully read and reflect on his letters, he's praying the prayer of Jabez all through his letters. Watch this. Keep your pen moving. Uh, How about that opening segment to the prayer? Oh, that you would bless me indeed. Would you write it in, please? That's Philippians. Philippians 4.19. Just write the abbreviations. Philippians 4.19. My God will satisfy all your needs according to His riches and glory through Christ Jesus. God will bless you. That's what Philippians 4.19 is all about. God is going to bless you. Paul says, oh, that you would bless me indeed. What's the next, what's the next prayer? That you would enlarge my territory. Well, that's Romans, that's Romans 15.28. I want to go to Spain. Why do you want to go to Spain? Because I want to, ins- I want to expand my territory for God. Oh, that you would bless me indeed, that you would enlarge my territory. Number three, that your hand would be with me. That's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I need the hand of God on me. Once that hand is on me, I can do anything in Christ. And finally, that you would keep me from evil. That's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and following. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers in high places. Therefore, put on the armor of God. Keep me from evil. I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, Paul may never have prayed the prayer of Jabez, but he prayed it all the time. Enlarge my territory. I love that line. It's just another way of saying, I'll go to Spain. Why? Because Paul has to. Paul wants to get his his reputation expanded. Are you kidding? It's always been my ambition to pray to preach Christ where where he is not known. It was to enlarge Christ's territory. That was Paul's ambition. Solitary reason for going to Spain. I will go to Spain. You know why? Because you cannot discover new oceans unless you're willing to lose sight of the shore. And Paul says, I've preached around here. I've pretty much covered this area. I think I need to move on. Passion, an ambition, a vision, and a mission. Paul, by the way, was the original writer of the song. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but it goes like this. Well, I've never been to Spain, but I kind of like the music. Oh, you have heard it. I've never been to Spain, but I kind of like the music. The sweet music of the everlasting gospel going to people who have never heard of Jesus before. Hallelujah. And so he said, i got to take him there. So here's the question. Here's the question. What Spains do you have for Jesus? Hmm? You got any Spains? Come on. Any Spains in your heart for the Lord Jesus Christ? Those of you listening on the radio right now. What Spain? What dream? What vision? What, what ambition do you have? Do you have an ambition to take... 
Jesus where you've never taken Him before. Maybe it's the other way around. Have Jesus take you where you've never been before. Seven years ago, we shared an ambition for Christ, didn't we? It's called Net 98. That was the greatest ambition we ever shared. Perhaps the greatest we will ever share. But you know what, ladies and gentlemen? You can't live on the fumes of a dying memory. You've got to find another Spain. You can't keep living off remembering. So do you have a Spain in your life? Do you have a Spain in your ministry? Do you have a Spain in your career? What is Spain? It's an unreached world for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Spain is. It's not a new bank account so that you retire in ease with ease. That's not Spain. That has your name written all over it. It's not that motorhome that you've been dying to get. It's not that portfolio. Nope, nope. It has your name written all over it. And now, wait a minute. You mean I can't use my portfolio to build bridges to Spain? Oh, of course you can. You just have to take your name off of that portfolio and put Jesus on it instead. Then that's His. And then it's His call. And you are available 24-7 for that call. Do you have a Spain in your life? Something that drives you? Something that fuels you? Compels you to get up in the morning? I have to face a new day. I am going to Spain. I will go to Spain. Or are we content to hug the shore of our own comfort zones? Are we afraid of the high waters of a stormy sea that have R-I-S-K written all over them? Are we afraid... Afraid to sail the high seas for Jesus when hugging the shoreline of a very comfortable parish is the safest way to preserve the status quo and maintain mediocrity. Are we afraid? Then this, the five-word vision of this intrepid disciple of Christ is for you and me. I will go to Spain. In the words of Robert Browning, I love this. Too bad I thought of it after the study guide was printed. Robert Browning. If you have a fast pen, I wish you'd jot this down. Just, just two lines. Here it goes. Ah, A-H. Ah, the Browning, the poet. Ah, comma. But a man's reach should exceed his grasp. Think it through if you're not writing it. Ah, but a man's reach should exceed his grasp, comma, or what's a heaven for? Question mark. End quote. If you're living with what is in your puny little grasp, this is your life, what you can touch and feel and smell, and that's the horizon of your little world. Oh, my friend, you need to break out of that pitiful little box. That's become your prison. Ah, but a man's reach. See, reach for that which you can't even grasp. It's, it's too far away, but a man's reach should exceed his grasp. Or what's a heaven for? Why did God give us heaven? It's a reach far beyond our grasp. Browning is right. An ambition. You and I embracing an ambition... That is a commission. In fact, would you look at it, please? Matthew chapter 28. 
And then I'm going to give you some words that you can write down just below Matthew 28. Matthew 28, the famous Gospel Commission. Matthew 28, verse 18, the last lines of the Gospel of St. Matthew. Matthew 28, verse 18, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority. Do you know what authority is? Do you know what authority is? Yeah, of course you do. Yeah, I'm, work, I'm, work, I'm worshiping my way in the early morning through the Gospel of Luke right now. And just this week, I came to the story. You remember of the Roman centurion? You remember the centurion who had a servant who's dying back at home? You remember that? And the, and the centurion sends a message to Jesus. Don't, no, 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 no. Don't you dare come into my house. You don't need to. You just stand right there and you do what you've got to do. But I need my servant healed. For the centurion said, I am a man under authority. I have superiors all the way up to Caesar. I am a man under authority. And by the way, I'm a man of authority. I say to one servant, go, and he goes. I say to another servant, come, and he comes. I say to a third servant, do this, and he does it. I am a man under authority. You just say the word. You don't have to come. And Jesus said, I have never seen this kind of faith in the community of the saved. But when I meditated on that line, I am a man under authority, the Holy Spirit said to me, boy, you are a man under authority. My authority. The authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I say go, you go. When I say come, you come. When I say stay, you stay. You do what I say. Whoa, hit me. I am a man under authority. Jesus says, what did he just say? I have all authority under heaven and earth. I am the one with the authority. And now I'm going to give you an order. If you are a follower of mine, Jesus says, if you are a disciple of mine, I am now going to give you an order. I have the authority. You are under my authority. Here comes your order. Therefore, go. I give you this order. Go. Verse 19. Therefore, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the, and of the Holy Spirit, verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You go. I command, you go. If, now wait a minute, let's, let's just do this. On this Memorial Day weekend, I want to know. How many here consider themselves under the authority of Jesus Christ? Raise your hand if you are under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are under His authority. He is your Lord and Savior. Okay, then that means every, to, to all of us who raised our hands, these words are addressed. We are people under authority. Therefore, go, He says. Now, about three weeks ago, two weeks ago, whatever, I, I scribbled some words right under the Gospel Commission, and I've put them in your study guide so that you can have them as well. Let me read these words to you from a little book called Christian Education. He, she, who does nothing. He who does nothing but waits to be compelled by some supernatural agency will wait on in lethargy and darkness. God has given His Word. God speaks in unmistakable language to your soul. Is not the Word of His mouth sufficient to show you your duty and to urge its fulfillment? End quote. Has God been convicting your heart of a Spain of late? Is there something deep within you that has been just chomping at the bit inside of you saying, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to. My dear friend, 
If God has already convicted your heart and you are now saying, no, I'm going to wait for a sign from God. The quotation we just read said, the only sign you will ever get is his word. I am, I have all authority under heaven and earth and I'm telling you, go, go. That's all the sign you will ever get. I used to carry, I used to carry a cartoon in the back of my uh, Bible. It's a southern preacher. Southern preacher. And he's saying, Lord, give me a sign. And they wrote the English to make it reflect the southern. Probably a southern Baptist. That's first frame. Next frame. Lord, give me a sign. The third frame. Just a long little narrow cartoon. The third frame. All of a sudden, out of heaven, drop 1,000 stop signs. Just... Covering him. So all you just have this heap of stop signs. And then the final frame is of him pushing all the stop signs away, crawling out and standing on top. Lord, give me a sign. You got all the sign you need. I said, go. Which part of the go don't you understand? The G or the O? Go. 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 I think of the massive and mighty 1040 window where there are literally billions of earth children who have never heard of Jesus. I was visiting with Cheryl Doss this, this very week. She's a returned missionary. She was in our small group last year. She and Gordon teach here at the seminary. She's a new missiologist. And we were talking together and Sharon, Cheryl is sharing with me the, the, the passion of her heart. How are we ever going to awaken the American church to the stupendous challenge of billions of lost people across the seas? Hmm? How do we break American Adventists out of their let's just care for our own congregation and our own church school mentality? I will go to Spain. Of course Spain includes our kids. Paul hadn't forgotten Jerusalem. He was taking relief monies back to the home church. But he did not let Jerusalem's financial struggle detract him from the world's spiritual needs. And that's the key. You cannot become hostage to financial struggles so that you are confined to one little plot of earth while a world goes to hell in a handbasket. You have to carry the world upon your heart while you struggle at home. I will go to Spain. This ought ye to have done and not leave the other undone would surely be Christ's admonition for us today. Listen, some of you today listening right now are being called by God to become intrepid, intrepid missionaries across the seas for the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now the Holy Spirit is beginning to work in your heart. Right now you are not here by accident today. You are here by divine appointment and you've just read the words, inspired words of a five-word vision. I will go to Spain. And God is already stirring in your heart. My friend, don't you say no. You say no at grave peril to your soul. Don't you say no. If God has marked you for going, then you cannot stay. You cannot stay. It's not all of you, I understand. I think of a whole busload of students we saw off on Monday afternoon. Andrews University students on a mission to Zimbabwe with Pastor and Professor Glenn Russell. Our whole staff went out there and had prayer with them. I'm especially proud of this group because included in that team of 12 is our son, Kirk, 
who along with these others will each be preaching 19 sermons in 17 days to audiences from a thousand and up in Zimbabwe with PowerPoint and translator. Kurt called yesterday on my cell phone from Zimbabwe. I raced upstairs and came back in the call. I left the cell phone, so I missed his call. He called again this morning. 7.40. They're seven hours ahead. I could hear Glenn Russell in the background kind of saying, don't forget to tell them this. The word that they wanted to make sure this congregation got was that everybody is there safe. They preach Friday night. Kirk had just finished preaching Sabbath morning. He said, oh, I feel so much better than I did last night. Because on the message on the cell phone, he said it was ugly. So he is trying something he's never done before. Hallelujah. In the words of my friend Harry Mahando, this entire team will come back and they will never be the same again. Because when you go to Spain for Jesus, you can't be the same. Home is never the same once you've been to Spain. Never looks the same again. Because now you know you can't stay here. You can't stay. Spain is in your heart for Jesus. Needless to say, Karen and I are praising God for the way He is answering your prayers and ours. With our boy, Kirk. Hallelujah. And amen. Evangelism and going to Spain, expanding your territory for Jesus. That's what it does. By the way, you, is, you say, I'm not an evangelist, Dwight. No, I know you're not. You don't have to be. Listen, there are others. There are other projects. I think of Benton Harbor and our mission to that inner city. How can we possibly putter around with our self-serving, self-surviving motions here and be contented when 12 miles up the road are thousands of men, women, and children who also need the very same gospel that we thrill to every Sabbath. We say, oh, it's so great to share the gospel with each other. Come on. I sat on a council this last Wednesday that wrestled over the burgeoning needs and challenge of that mission in Benton Harbor. A mission as true and needy as Spain and sometimes seems as far away as Spain to us. You don't have to go to Zimbabwe. Stay right here at home. Finally, I think of television. I fly out tomorrow to L.A. to tape six new programs for Faith for Today's The Evidence Telecast. Targeting secular postmodern viewers. On Monday, the Associated Press, and I'm grateful to my friend Lawrence Byrne who spotted this and shared it with me. The Associated Press carried this story, Dateline San Francisco, headline, All Atheist Weekend, All Atheist Weekend held in San Francisco. Here's one sentence. The attendees of the All Atheist Weekend came together to discuss what they call the rise of fundamentalism in the United States and the blurring of lines between church and state. I'm concerned about those blurring of lines, too. I want to tell you something, though. God is concerned. His heart aches over postmodern secular atheists who believe there is nobody out there but me. His heart aches for them. That's the mission of the evidence. That's the mission of that telecast. And I wish you would pray hard this next week for the ten programs that we'll be, for the six programs, rather, that we'll be taping. But I'm also thinking of our own pioneer television ministry right here in Michiana. And by the way, May I say thank you, Jesus, and praise God for you to all of you who last week stepped up to the plate in an appeal for 90 pioneers, $10 a week, to cover the $900 a week airtime in a station right here in Michigan. We've already got the contract now. I prayed, God, give us 90. Expand our territory. And I'm so happy to tell you today that 93.8 of you stepped forward. Hallelujah.
God bless you. And thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, I want to close with a story and a quotation. And the story has to do with that point eight. I want to tell you about that point eight. All right, it's 93.8. You see, we have 93.8 who pledged $49,000. That's one year airtime. God bless you. But there was a point eight, and I want to tell you about that point eight. He was a visitor last Sabbath, sitting in church when that appeal was made, came under conviction that he too should help, even though he's just a visitor, even though he's a missionary on furlough, or should I say his parents are missionaries on furlough and he's just 10 years old. But he heard the appeal that you heard. And he looked up at his mother and he whispered, I think God wants me to help with this. She looked down at that little 10-year-old boy, her eldest. Are you sure? Yeah. So, they're here for the AFM missionary orientation. They went back to wherever they're living in this community for this orientation. And he dug out his life savings. Tiny little wallet. Counted them. $35. And it suddenly hit him that if he gave $10 he would be giving away one-third of all these precious dollars that he had been saving. And he went back into the kitchen last Sabbath and he looked up at his mother and it was written all over his face, the struggle in that little heart. And she said, it kind of looks like more than you first thought, doesn't it? And he said, yes. She says, now, do you think God wants you not to give or... And that boy, for the rest of Sabbath afternoon, debated within his own spirit, should I give or should I not give? Finally, by Sunday, his decision was made. He said, okay, I'm going to give this to Jesus. And so first thing Monday morning, 8.30 Monday morning, boom, they are here. Only to find out that the pastor is writing, studying in his study at home. He was absolutely devastated. And in fact, he went home and burst out in tears and sobbed. Do you know how sometimes you just screw your courage up to do something and then it doesn't happen and it just about kills you? He cried and he cried and he cried. Well, they made an appointment when they were here and that would be Wednesday afternoon. And so all through Monday now and all through Tuesday and all through Wednesday until Wednesday afternoon. And on Wednesday afternoon, he came in. He's going to do it. It killed him. He's going to do it. He came into my office. Now, his mother had tipped me off. She'd slid a note under my door, and so I knew the story. He came into my office. And I want to tell you something. I knew what was coming. And when he reached into his little pocket and he pulled out a a piece of paper that had been neatly folded, and he unfolded that paper, and I saw this wrinkled $10 bill come out. And as he handed it to me, I'm thinking, oh, come on, I've got to find a way. I mean, I'll let him keep it. I'll let him keep it. There'll be, what could I do? As he handed it to me, I took that $10 bill. And I tell you the truth, as soon as he handed it to me, he burst into tears. And I wanted to start crying on the spot with him. In fact, when I was writing this story up on Thursday, I just started bawling. As I'm thinking about that little boy named Jared who's crying. 
this is one third of everything I have. But I knew I knew I couldn't just say, no, nah, keep the money, kid. It doesn't matter. Yeah, come on, you're a missionary. No, I knew that Jesus was doing something in that boy's heart. And he was saying, I want to go to Spain. And it's going to cost me a third of my life savings. But here it is. Take it. Take it now or I'll take it back. And here you and I were last Sabbath. <laughs> Thinking of all the reasons why we really didn't need to give this mission. I mean, you know, I'm already giving a whole lot of other places, so thank you, Jesus, but no thanks. And here is a little 10-year-old boy, or should I say a little 10-year-old young man, not only pledged, but gave one-third of his life savings to help somebody else find the Savior too. And he, a missionary boy to Mali, Africa, a boy named Jared Curry, I'm so proud of that boy. I'm going to track him for the rest of his life. God has something big for a boy who can dream of Spain at the age of 10. So don't you worry. God will take care of you. I mean, if a poor missionary boy can help spread the gospel, I don't suppose there's a one of us here who couldn't help too. Well, I mean, really, please. So just mark your gift, $10 gift. Mark a television ministry. On a tithe envelope. Say, come on, you already got it. You already got to all your pioneers. You don't need them now. Oh, wait a minute. That was just airtime. What about the hundreds of Michiana residents who will call in for the free books we will offer every single week? We need a whole church full of pioneers. That's what we need. And that's why we're called the Pioneer Church. Never seen a congregation like this that rises to a challenge. And by the way, will God take care of you? Hey, the God of a widow's mite and the God of a missionary boy's $10, trust me, He'll take care of you. He will take care of you. And by the way, that little boy, Jared's $10, you watch. Just because you heard his story, that $10, when Jared gets to heaven, he's going to find out that went through an amazing multiplication. There will be thousands of dollars in heaven marked because a boy who gave a third of his life savings to go to Spain. How will God bless us? Ah, here's this quotation now. End of this. I want to set the scene. I want the last scene of our time together here to be from Revelation. I want to go to heaven. Take a look at this. Here's, his he here's heaven. I want to read this to you and then... Share that quotation and I'll sit down. Revelation chapter 7. You want to see a picture of heaven? Hallelujah. Get a load of this. The vast throng of the saved are gathered before the throne of God. Revelation chapter 7. Look at this. Verse 9. And after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language. There they all were standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb and they were wearing white robes. Can you see them in your mind's eye? They were holding palm branches in their hands. Can you hear them now in verse 10? And they cried out, These are the masses of earth who have been saved because somebody came to them with the gospel. And they cried out in verse 10 in a loud voice, in a megalephone, with a megaphone they cried out, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Bruce Wilkinson describes that moment. Look down on your study guide. You have to keep this quotation. I've already got it written into my Bible. God has shown us. Look at this. God has shown us how our story ends with countless people from every nation on earth crying out joyfully to God. Now here it goes. What part of that throng will be there because of you? 
What part of God's dream is linked to your destiny? Would you change that, please? That is my typo. It's not dream. Not what part of God's dream is linked to your dream. No, no, no. It's better than that. It's the word destiny. Strike out dream. What part of God's dream is linked to your destiny? I love that because you were not born accidentally. You didn't come to this earth by mistake. God has always dreamed you would come. There is a destiny for you. And what part of your destiny is now linked to the dream of God to populate heaven with lost people? Change that word to destiny. You have a destiny, madam. Sir, you have a destiny. You have been called by God. What part of God's dream is linked to your destiny? Just think, he goes on, Bruce Wilkinson in his new book, Beyond Jabez, he goes on, just think what a difference you could make in many, many lives if you were to pray passionately and faithfully for enlarged territory from God and for God. Imagine the miraculous divine partnership that will grow out of your plea. Let me accomplish more for you. Final sentence, with His infinite ability and your willing availability, He can literally do anything, end quote. Mark those words, with His infinite ability and your willing availability. There is not a Spain on earth that you and Jesus cannot sail to together to save people for God forever and ever. Amen. And amen. Let's pray. Oh, God. Oh, God. I will go to Spain. A book that began with the gospel ends with the passion of taking the gospel to the world that needs it. Holy Father, forgive us if we thought that all of this gospel was for our own pleasure and inspiration and edification. No, Father, the gospel, once we found it, oh God, we must sail to Spain. Dear God, I don't know the vision and ambitions tucked away in these hearts bowed before you now and those watching and listening. But Holy Father, please rekindle your call. Please stir up your gift and draw us away from the comfort zone of this shoreline. Draw us across the high and stormy seas to risk for the sake of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Father, seal the decisions that have been made right now in this place. I know there have been decisions. Seal those decisions. Don't let Him forget what He has pledged to do for you. Don't let her banish from her memory the voice of the Eternal calling her to push away from this shoreline and sail to Spain for the Kingdom. Oh God, we, Your people, must embark. Send us forth for the glory, only the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His name, with new courage and ambition and passion, we go forth. 
Let all the people say, Amen.